You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Pretty, I'm sad to say this is our last episode of the season. It was a delight to be able to walk through these seven themes of the alternative orthodoxy with Richard and you. And I didn't really want it to end. And I didn't know how it was going to end. Yeah. But we really came to a place of deep continued conversation that feels like it's not over. It's going to continue. This was such an unexpected conversation. We thought we were going to just put a bow on it and high five each other and walk out the door. And it actually opened up a dialogue about how do we keep working with these tenants? How do we adjust these themes to reflect some of the values that are most important to Richard and to us at the CAC, these values of simplicity, devotion, and public virtue. Where and how are those alive in these themes, and how can we live into them even more? Yeah, and afterwards we were reflecting on how Richard comes from the Franciscan tradition, which is an alternative community rather than an institution. Yeah. And Richard's own journey of starting the New Jerusalem community and then starting the CAC, which has held both community and institution at times. And now it's in this kind of this new point of its life where it's, it's trying to live deeper into both and it's new territory. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like you hear a lot of that grappling of like, how do we really lean into these values and learn to embody these themes of the alternative orthodoxy so we can have this prophetic stance out of devotion Mm -hmm. and not just be an institution that's alive for the sake of, being alive, but really have something to offer the world, to be a vessel for the way the universal Christ is asking us to show up. I mean, yes. (laughs) Talk about an opportunity to lean into prophetic imagination yeah, and to have an internal non-dual stance. Because for so many of us, we equate community with institution, or we completely split them apart. So either we flatten them too much, or we split them apart too much. And what I heard him kind of wrestling with and bouncing back and forth with is, how can we both hold the reality of of institutional organizational life Hmm. and hold the heart, the embodied heart, the sacred heart, the heart on fire of of community members who are deeply seeking to live this out together. Hmm. And that's not easy. It's such such a chance. Challenge, but I, I find it almost as an inspiring, creative challenge for us to to think about as we move forward. Yeah, and I'm sure for all y'all listening, like this is exactly where you're at in the context of your own life. Exactly. How do you hold both of these as you move and participate in the world, in family and friends and work? And also, can we just give a quick shout out to Paul Thompson and shout Corey Pig for supporting this week? Yeah. Uh, they're the, the voices you don't hear, but who without them, we couldn't do this work. That's right. It's been such a profound journey this week, and I have outed myself plenty of times on what a super fan I am on these themes, but I just, I, they mean so much to me because for me, they formed the framework of a new possibility of understanding the role of belief and the perennial tradition Mm. and how we can actually allow that to spur us into action Mm. and into an accountability to the whole on behalf of the whole. So it was just, an absolute privilege to sit here and dig into these themes with you, Paul and Paul and other Paul. (laughs) 
So we hope that that you as listeners feel the same way, that the opportunity is to not just listen to these themes and think how interesting, but to really challenge yourselves as we are challenging ourselves to put flesh on it, yeah. to, to consider how we can in our own context live into it a little bit more. These three values that keep coming up and how we can hold the three values and these seven themes in tension as an opportunity for transformation. Yeah, and then as we both say quite a bit, it really helps us recognize we are all in this together. Yeah. Not just the CAC, but everyone listening, everyone who's participating in this, we are all in this together and we need each other. Yeah. So with that, we hope you'll enjoy this final episode on the seven themes of the alternative orthodoxy. All right. Well, this has been a marvelous season as we've taken time to really sink in and marinate with each of these themes and see how they build off one another and, and connect. I'm curious for you both, did anything surprise you as we've delved into these themes that you didn't expect coming in, knowing that we were going to have conversations on the seven themes of the alternative orthodoxy? I certainly had a feeling they were somehow more organic than I even imagined, how they overlapped mm. and they built on one another. So I, I was entering the week almost with a bit of doubt or fear. Oh, we're going to discover a huge missing theme. And history surely will. But as far as my capacity for teaching... It feels to me like I've got the biggies here. Mm. And by the biggies, I mean the underlying. Not that there aren't a lot of corollaries to every one of these, but the underlying foundational idea. So the, the wholeness of it made me happy. That's what I was surprised by. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I felt the same way. Did you? Yeah, and I, I, I already outed myself as a super fan of your tenets in the alternative orthodoxy, but it was in dialogue together over the course of these sessions that I really felt the ways that they, they do backstitch into mm. each other. Backstitch. That's yeah. good. Good yeah. And I, I have wow. this sense of like almost this, this tapestry of how they weave together and form a, a holistic picture of, of a new way of understanding a path of practice and a path of, of what we're being invited into. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, it's stunning. Richard, it's so exciting. Yeah, it's, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I have anything new to add as far as surprises. It's just echoing that. I don't think I fully recognized how much these connect to one another and, and play with one another in a way that, that creates a whole, mm -hmm. that invites you into the whole, that's not just one piece. And so it's been a delight to sink into these with all of you. And Richard, thanks for charting this territory all those years ago when you put this into, into practice. Yeah. I will say maybe one, one other thing that I didn't expect was how much perfectionism came up as Isn't almost like the true? antithesis of mm -hmm. what, what the alternative orthodoxy uh -huh. is inviting us into and a much more incarnational and human invitation. Whereas I think the, the ways we used to think about orthodoxy was about perfectionism well, and achieving. And, it was. Yeah. Which is quite arrogant of us, as if we could. Mm. Only the isolated ego would have such an imagination that I could achieve 
personal perfection. Mm. Mm-hmm. Of course, you and I, that's our enneagram delusion. <laughs> you do it aesthetically, I do it moralistically, and mine is much more distasteful. This wanting to do it right, mm. you want to do it beautifully. And if it isn't beautiful, it's just useless. <laughs> it's easy to dismiss. <laughs> just let that yeah. one go. <laughs> I wonder if we can continue on this thread of just seeing how these themes build off one another and how they okay. live in tension and connect. Right. Richard, is any further thoughts for you about, as we've kind of stepped through each of these themes, that you see the cohesive whole, that they all need one another? It obviously reminds us the theme of the body of Christ. Uh, We all need one another. And these themes kind of help undergird that in a way from a a deep posture of humility. Is there any further kind of explorations that you could take us on in regards to how the necessity of having a sense of harmony with these themes where they're they're all playing a different role, but you can't just take one and try to ride that out? Well, I first of all, thank you for seeing that. I hope it's true. I want to say that the the fourth one, Everything Belongs, is for me a touchstone that you've put it all together harmoniously. Mm. How you end up treating the outsider, the poor, is for me just, maybe it's my Franciscan training, but it, it is my test whether I... I can trust your spirituality. Forgive me for needing that. But Mm. when I find these American philosophies of, what do we call it? Gospel of? Prosperity. Prosperity gospel, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I just had someone come and visit me yesterday. We talked for an hour and 15 minutes. He was a sincere spiritual man, but it was all esoteric, esoteric. The rubber never hit the road with any concern for the little guy. It was elitist spirituality. So for me, I'm afraid I can be fine with someone talking to me and not being immediately Trinitarian or even using the word Trinity. But if there's no nodding to the importance of those at the bottom and on the edge, I can't fully trust it. It feels like it's the ego speaking, not the spirit. Mm. It's the touchstone of orthodoxy in many ways. And that's our fourth principle. So it could get lost. Mm. That's one thing that comes to mind. And I guess the path of descent is another way of saying it. If you go down... You're going to meet the others who have been told they're down, too. <laughs> if you go up, you, you can develop an entire worldview that never requires you go outside of white, suburban, heterosexual, happy, bourgeois. I think that's what the word in French, bourgeois, really meant. Something that's unduly comfortable with itself. Mm. And without that solidarity with those who aren't in my comfort group, it won't remain wisdom for long. I don't think so. Mm. So just got to add that. Thank yeah. you for letting me. 
So Richard, as we wrap up this season and look back on these many conversations, Paul and I thought we would play like a uh, a roar best of Wheel of Fortune game <laughs> of, of connecting the dots between some of your central tenets oh, and teachings wow. to the alternative orthodoxy, or at least see if we can play together and make these connections for wow. not just for our own fun, but hopefully for our listeners and for us to see how these things weave together. And the first one that we've talked a lot about, it's come up a few times, is the centrality of Jesus for you. And you talk about this a lot at the center. Jesus is our central reference point. Jesus is our central reference point. Not the only one, but central. Mm-hmm. Um, so Very good. Thank you in what for tenets, noting that. Yeah, yeah. In what tenets do you see that the primacy of Jesus is our central reference point? Which of these tenets do you feel connects with that? Or where would, most, you, where, well, would you, where would you link them? Maybe. I guess mostly in the second. Mm. If we believe Jesus is the face of this hidden God, which is what Christianity believes, then we better look at that face mm. long and hard and seriously and take it as the goal, take it as the ideal, take it as the norm. It keeps our religion from becoming theoretical and merely theological. Even though it hasn't in great part up to now, I think that's its purpose. The scandal of the particular. Mm -hmm. One particular man in history gives us this is what full humanity looks like. And it's just nothing you need to be ashamed of. It's good stuff. He's good stuff. So I'm not ashamed of talking that way. And the wonderful thing is that, although that sounds like an exclusionary statement, what did this Jesus teach? Inclusion. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. So, oh, I can't make him into an exclusive savior when in his lifetime he was an inclusive teacher. Hmm. That's so important. Yeah, you just make me say things like that. Thank you. (laughs) No, you do. Thank you. The cool part about that is that if if the second tenet in the Trinity is is pointing us to the fact that Jesus is the central reference point, then when we move to number three, it seems to be pointing to the universal Christ. Then that Jesus is pointing to exactly that that this one reality. Would you say that this one reality is the incarnation of the universal Christ? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's and then that's an ongoing mystery. So it makes our understanding of religion very contemporary. It's not a museum. Mm. It's not a the good old days religion, the old time religion. It's something dynamic that is continuing in space and time. Mm. Why would we want to be a part of a religion that wasn't including us and including now? Mm. When I teach in the living school, I, I say, don't you get bored by all these stories of wars in the book of Kings and other books? And about just transfer it that our wars matter to God too. Our droughts and Uh, whatever manifestations are happening on the planet are still in the realm of the sacred. Mm. Yes. That's helpful. 
Otherwise, I, I, I would just throw out two-thirds of the Bible. But that it goes to that much length to put this in the realm of sacred text. Zerubbabel and Jeroboam, and I, I can't even remember their names. And they don't seem mostly like canonized Catholic saints, for sure. Mm. And yet we've got them in the holy book. That gives me great hope. Yeah. Because I'm Zerubbabel. I don't even know what he did. <laughs> Way to pull that name out of yeah, the hat. <laughs> deeply impressed. Uh, and so to, to spin the wheel of roar again to uh, find another one of your, your pieces to connect, where would you put embodied prophetic action within these seven themes? of Embodied prophetic action. Wow. Maybe you've touched the, the missing, embodied prophetic action. I don't think it's as explicit as it could be or should be. Thank you. Paul um, and I both felt like the, the seventh theme, mm-hmm. you know, if we understand divine union as divine union in prophetic action or divine union resulting in prophetic action— we felt like we really saw that as alive in that tenant. Mm. And we wondered if you did too, but you know, we're in the Ooh. the roulette experiment here yeah. in real time. <laughs> Divine union, not maybe this is saying what we were playing with before we started recording mm. here. Mm-hmm. Why we need to add perhaps another sentence there. Mm. We need both private virtue and public virtue. Are we ourselves are are dualistic, mm-hmm. and up to now I know all of this couldn't be put in that, but up to now virtue has been thought of as a private thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm patient. I'm humble, mm-hmm. but until that takes some public face, you're onto something. So I'm glad we're saying it here. How we change that seventh. I don't know yet, but uh, let's seriously consider it hmm. with some notion of, and what I mean by public virtue is that implied for me by Jesus' line, do not put your light under a bushel basket. Huh? Mm-hmm. Let it shine, and we've sang that so often. Hmm. It's become a children's song instead of a, a serious message. Unless it has public face, we're not going to change culture. We're not going to change the world. All, all these privately humble people are not adding up to changing the world because mm. they never take that to, I mean, I think someone said like 60% of our Congress recently was, was Catholic. And, well, I sure don't hear in most of them much Catholic social teaching. Mm-hmm. But, oh, they're Catholic. And we've got good social teaching. Well, I guess the Democrats would probably be more likely to admit that, frankly, than the Republicans would. I don't know what the Republicans do with Catholic social teaching because we're very clear on issues like immigration and and war and so forth. Now, we weren't historically. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the best example I can give, though, of what happens 
to culture, when virtue is relegated to the private individual. Mm. Yeah. Speaking to to what we were talking about in the last episode about the wholeness and the the union of seeing all these things as deeply interconnected. Our social sphere is operating as though it's separate from the spiritual inner life sphere, which is operating as though it's separate from the political sphere. And we don't even realize that we're perpetuating those the fallacy that those spheres are somehow not constantly interacting and intercreating each mm. other. Thank you. And That's I, right. Well, and I, I, I'm confessing this to just to say that I very recently came to the inner conviction and realization that I didn't actually believe that contemplation could have a direct bearing in our political sphere. Hmm. And I, it wasn't a conscious belief that I was holding, but more just the ways in which we like to keep contemplation in our private sphere over here, and we like to do retreats, and we like to have, and it's it's stimulating for the inner life. And we kind of act as though the political, the public is, oh, that's out there. That's like, well, no, I got to just be professional for work. Like, you know, I've got to get my stuff done. And and the political is over there. And, you know, I can't do anything about our government. And so I think very, very recently for me, I started to realize that, no, these are, this is all one reality. And how I choose to see that one reality is going to have a bearing on the momentum to allow the contemplative practice to live itself out in the manifestation of hopefully mm. a new political and social reality too. Wow. And, and in that, we're replicating the church we all left. Yeah. Yes. 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 Uh, really. It's like a new, new isolated church or something. A uh, new where you never preach on anything political. You don't really pray publicly. We let the priest say the prayer. Well, you prayed publicly, though, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you did show your. That's probably one of the great things that many Protestant sects brought to Christianity. Mm. That you you did show your cards more about your faith in Jesus. We just showed our faith in the church, yeah. but we let the official church people do the praying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is no small point. Do spend some time and, and recommend them to to Michael or me or whoever. How we can get this idea of public virtue in in our. Mm-hmm. Orthodoxy. Mm. Thank you. It, it, it's really naming for me too how countercultural these seven themes are because mm. all of culture is telling us to remain individuals, to perpetuate yes. the consumerist culture, yes. materialism in in the the shallowest sense of the word, and that doesn't allow us to participate in the whole. Mm-hmm. And how do we, as the CAC, stand in the place of a uh, that prophetic lineage where we are? in the world, but not of the world, and hopefully the fullest sense of that, where we are able to provide an alternative of how one can follow in the way of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you very uh, much. Another one here that, you know, to spin the wheel again, we talked a lot about uh, the values last season, and I'm curious, Richard, where would you put the role of devotion in these seven themes? Where does that show up? I think it came up a little bit in the first Tenet, where we said, is devotion the fuel for the methodology almost? Or, but it, yeah, we're curious where you see it, Richard. Where do I see it? 
Do I not see it? Why, if so, why not? <laughs> Devotion for me is the movement of the message to the heart, intimate, intensity level. Mm. You know, you've heard me say to parents, children don't believe what you say, they believe what you're passionate mm. about. And they can tell that real uh, mommy and daddy care about trees or whatever it is. They know that by three, I'll bet, already. Yep. How do people who come to work with us, how do people that we teach know our devotion? Because my fear is if we don't have a devoted core which holds public virtue, and not that our goal is to last, it isn't. But my fear is that it's not going to last. It's too abstract, conceptual, heady. Mm. You need a core where it's moved to the heart level, and they can speak from the heart level to one another, to the world. It hit a lot of people when a few weeks ago at a uh, maybe you weren't there, Bree. A staff meeting, at least three have now come and told me it hit them when I said that I fear the CAC has become liberal but not prophetic. Mm. I fear that, that that's true. Liberal is still a detached observance of issues, mm. but prophetic is a I know you care about this. Yeah, there's skin, there's skin in the game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh-huh. Hmm. That there's real caring. My, you're coming up with good things. I, I don't think devotion is enough stated here. Another name for everything will continue in a moment. Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. Explore art as a spiritual practice in the next issue of Wanting, the biannual journal from the Center for Action and Contemplation. Wanting, Art and Spirituality features images and reflections from leading actors and musicians, including Scott Avett, Josh Radner, Lourdes Bernard, and more. Get your copy today at cac.org slash wanningart. That's cac.org slash O-N-E-I-N-G-A-R-T. Have you taken an online course with the Center for Action and Contemplation? Explore the intersection of ancient wisdom and Jesus' teachings in The Divine Exchange, an online course featuring Cynthia Bourgeau. Fully embrace divine interaction each day, starting June 16th. Register today at cac.org slash online dash ed. That's cac.org slash o-n-l-i-n-e dash e-d.
I feel it a little bit also in the the Trinity tenet where yes, you know should be the the Trinity as an image of flow and love outpouring itself into manifestation. If you're saying that God is the ground, uh, both the ground of our being and our becoming, and on our side, I feel such a deep heart opening to be deeply devoted and in relationship to God. Then, in a, in a, not just in which I love that you're saying a lot lately, Richard. This is not just an abstract way. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, I think the pendulum swings when we when we leave the container of our first experiences within religion or tradition. And the pendulum swings out when we experience contemplation and we turn it into this almost like mental, universal, there's no personal connection. It's almost as if we're trying to flatten it into this very like non-dual, I'm just, you know. But you keep reminding us, Richard, that no, there's a personal element to this. Uh, In the face of Jesus as our central reference point, Mm -hmm. we can be deeply devoted without losing the universal side mm. of it as well. I don't know if I'm making yeah, sense there. I'm sure wondering, you are. I'm wondering, I mean, is it even possible to have embodied prophetic action without devotion? Or, or is it just turn into liberal politics if that heart of devotion is not right. the, right. the fuel of the engine? Mm. Mm. I told the story to someone on the leadership team. When sojourners first came to visit me and the community in Cincinnati. They were very sophisticated social activists from Washington, D.C., you know, writing good articles. And I remember being interviewed by them, and then I had to go up to my room to get a call, and I don't know what else, but I was gone like 10, 15 minutes. And I came back down, and we had a very small little kitchen. I opened the kitchen door, and I saw one of these sophisticated, in my language, sojourners, social activists, on her knees. Mm. I don't think she she knew I it was a swinging door. So, and I just quietly closed it. Now, what prompted her in the middle of this heavy discussion to take that break, to go on her knees. I'm not saying that's the only way to express devotion. But if you're afraid of that, too. Last month when we made Peter Hanley the head of the Catholic Worker House, it was the same. I don't mean to make too much of kneeling. But um, I said, okay, we're now going to bless Peter to take over the Catholic Worker House. Do you both know who Peter is? Yeah, yeah. Peter, I said, are you not here? I couldn't see him. And they said, well, he's right there. I looked. (laughs) He was kneeling next to me, this kneeling with his hands folded like a little Catholic boy at First Communion, waiting for me to bless him. Mm -hmm. I just just shocked the whole room. (laughs) Hands folded, eyes closed, in position, (laughs) waiting to be blessed. That was just beautiful. I don't think I'd do that. Mm. You know, I've become too sophisticated by my own teaching. That, but that's devotion. Yeah. Mm. It's where it's, you're touched at the heart level that much that you would do such a thing. Mm. Yeah, I think I have to have a talk with the leadership team saying, 
am I off in saying that? Is that possible here anymore? Mm. Would an evangelical who was raised, raising his hands, feel free to do that? Like when it happened, remember about two months when I had all these black ministers here? Uh-huh. You know, God, big, macho men, you know, pastors, educated, how they spoke of God. Hmm. And when they raised their hands, and Baptists don't raise their hands, though, do they? Not really. Depends. It depends Some on, do. yeah, if the, if the, you know, if it's more progressive, if the music is more progressive, you'll see some hands kind of slowly oh, rising. Slow. <laughs> side, side hand side. raising. <laughs> How about covenanters? You don't raise your hand, do you? Uh, I mean, some, some folks definitely do. And oh, really? Definitely raise that, you know, going to youth camps and things like that. It was yeah. free form to raise hands and to, to wow. dance. Yeah. But that they'd feel free to do it. And what I'm saying is, I don't think any of us, including myself, would feel free to do it at a CAC gathering. Mm. Mm. What does that say about what we've become? Well, we're trying to honor and respect everybody. Yeah. Right, right. That's the green level. Mm. And uh, perhaps it's why Ken Wilber says the green level is the log jam mm. in the evolution of consciousness. Mm. It's too eager to be flat, and so a mystic can't really lead the group anymore. Mm. We won't accept it. Yeah. I'm going to tell a quick story. I confess an evangelical moment I had recently where I was actually at a, at a rock concert. And to close out the show, they got the whole crowd to sing over and over again, let's put all these words away. And I found myself with my arms raised. Yes, you did, Paul. Eyes closed. And then all of a sudden, the concert was over and the lights went on and my hands were still raised. Oh, and I had awesome. the thought of, you can take, the boy out of evangelicalism. You can't take the evangelicalism out of the boy because I was in that moment of yeah. like, isn't that surrender to the, the, the beauty of the moment? But You're, it came in a, in a venue I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. But somehow you were safe in that venue yeah. to do that. Did any other people raise their hands? Not that I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you looked like an idiot. Oh, I'm sure I did. Isn't that terrible? My God, that I did that for my whole period in New Jerusalem. Mm. Mm. We prayed every Sunday with our hands raised, and we were Catholics. Mm. Yeah. But there it was socially legitimated, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. And I'm not saying that's that's the new sign that you're saved, but we just better be careful Yeah, that, that we don't become too whatever. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. I really love how the values that we talked about in the last season, we're, we're spending so much time in them right now. We are. Yeah, because you know, we just, we talked a little bit about public virtue and we've just been talking about devotion. And your third value of simplicity, I also see as deeply consonant with these tenets Mm. in that if reality is Trinitarian and there is only one reality, that we really have a responsibility to the whole, to live in right relationship with the whole. How do you see simplicity as Mm -hmm. um, connecting with these tenets or invite, yeah, how, how these tenets are inviting us into simplicity? What's attracting me is four, Mm -hmm. but what's disappointing me when I look at it from this viewpoint is that we don't have the word solidarity anywhere Mm -hmm. in this. Mm -hmm. You know, when I told the Living School, instead of service, 
we should be talking about solidarity, and then service will have an authenticity to it. Yeah, humility, simplicity, that's Franciscanism, of course. Mm -hmm. And I just expressed it in the reaching out to the outsider. But that has to take the form of some solidarity with the outsider, hmm. not just admiration from afar. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if in number five, in five. healing the separate self, if what I hear you saying is that we're, we're being invited into solidarity, uh, mm. deep solidarity with the other mm. as, we, as we remember or are remembered to the whole we're invited. That works. Then. Mm-hmm. That works. Mm-hmm. I wonder too about six, but the path of descent is the path of transformation and solidarity. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you almost mm-hmm. have to go through mm-hmm. that wounded journey. Nice. Yeah. Path of descent, path of transformation and solidarity. Mm-hmm. Leading to solidarity. Leading mm-hmm. to solidarity. Mm-hmm. Right? At least write some, one of those in, Paul. And I need to take these to the leadership team mm-hmm. and see if, you know, it doesn't make we just did this week out of date. The, the core is here, but these are some refinements based on recognition of these three values that we see we don't always express here at the CAC. Mm-hmm. We don't always express simplicity. We don't always express public virtue. Mm-hmm. Wow. We're virtuous people. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about as we, you know, we play with these themes and, and take them very seriously, but also try to, to nuance and, and how is reality inviting us to look at them in new and different ways and how can we take them on? What would you invite listeners to as they work with these seven themes? How would you suggest that they try to work with them and try them on? Does that make sense? Like we're, we're kind of talking about it in a way where we're thinking about it in our specific context of the CAC. Would you just invite folks to, to sit with these and let them resonate and see how they, what their invitation is in their own daily life and local context to, to put these themes into action? Well, for sure that, but I have a feeling it'll float off into vagueness and agreement. You know, okay, I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unt- check, 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 check. <laughs> until there is this thing you were just talking about, a, a concrete practice. Let's use the example. I'm not pushing, but like this month we're going to go to Los Forasteros on Bridge Avenue for our staff lunch, you know. Now, it's hard to... Yet, my God, these people are serious about downward mobility as a value and giving up. I don't know if they serve beer and wine there. They probably do. So we could still have our beer and wine if we want it. But I think it's going to take concrete decisions like that Mm. that say this is not theoretical. It asks concrete things of the leadership team and the staff. And Richard. I mean, I've been taken for 40 years to, to fancy restaurants. 
And I try to tell people, you know, I don't need to go here. I enjoy it when I get there. I really do. Who wouldn't? Mm. Once you know what good food is, it's it's hard to, to go back to the greasy spoon place. But do we need to make... That shows devotion. Mm-hmm. That shows... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I so appreciate the way you spoke of it as an exercise of agency out of devotion out to of go on the path of downward mobility. Yeah, yeah. And that seems like anything anyone or anyone listening to this could take that into their own life and look at ways that they could take that path. Yeah. The the idea of the neighborhood restaurant that's mm-hmm. that's not so fancy. <laughs> well, and we have you're right, Richard. We have in our culture and here and everywhere, right? We have We've become so disembodied (laughs) that we can sit here glibly and have theological discussions about (laughs) the seven themes of the alternative orthodoxy and not at all be living them, Mm. not even a little bit. We can agree with them and not even be living Mm. them, not even a little bit. Well said, Barry. Me too. Yeah, I know. I'm putting myself in that too. We're all there. I think for me, as I get on a plane in a couple hours and head back to Michigan, one of the things that I feel startled into wanting to listen for, be open to, deepen into is to embody these, to allow my heart to be, uh, I'm going to use the sacred heart again, to allow my heart to be pierced, to be open and vulnerable to my context, to see how I can move more deeply yeah. into relationship with any of the places that I have split myself apart, Mm. whether it be from my neighbor or the other, or whether it be the splits within myself of perfectionism or the splits that I create between ideas and public action and virtue. Mm. I think I'm, I'm feeling this growing prayer in my heart of like, may I have the eyes to see and the ears to hear where and how I can live into this more deeply. Mm. Thank you. You know, I'm thinking of the parallel, if you remember, maybe it isn't a good example. Years after his impeachment, uh, Bill Clinton said the reason he had an affair with Monica was because he could. He could get away with it, you know. And I think it's the same for us. We take sometimes the easier path because we can. Yeah, We can afford it. We can... Do it without anybody daring to criticize it inside. And just because we can, someone has to have the courage now and then to say, but should we? Yeah. Should we? Just because we can. And it's always a special occasion. Well, we have to have a special occasion. Yeah. When everything's up to a special occasion. <laughs> It's not uh, special is, anymore. You know, it's a, on a real practical note, something that my wife came up with, which I thought was brilliant. You know how it's so easy to buy anything now. You know, you go yeah. online within five seconds, you can, yeah. you can, the order's in. She's come with the practice of, you know, if something comes up that we think we might need or want, to put it on the calendar a month later. So we have to sit with it for a whole month. Uh, and then when it comes it. around, it's like, do we actually need this? Or was this just a want mm. in that moment coming from some other? Thank you. Feeling less. I'm glad that's recorded. It has to become that practical. You you answered Hmm. 
in a way, mm. that question, mm. that's advice for our listeners. Mm. If we don't take precautions, we are totally sucked in to this capitalist culture, this consumer culture of ever higher upward mobility, and we don't even know we've been sucked into it. Mm. Look mm -hmm. at your nice frumpy jacket there. Hey, why, thank you, Richard. <laughs> I also appreciate that you said it was frumpy. Yeah. <laughs> frumpy. So I'm hitting both ego <laughs> needs right there. I'm contemplative and stylish at the same time. Uh, <laughs> do they use the word frumpy anymore? I guess they... Yes, I oh, used it earlier oh, yeah. in, this, in one of the episodes. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so looking at these tenants also, Richard, one of the things that struck me is that a great gift that you've offered many of us is to introduce us to other teachers and help us find oh, so. help us find other teachers that are consonant with with this kind of lens. Would you say that these seven themes comprise the lens through which you look at other teachers to feel like that sense of resonance and how you have built relationships with even the core faculty here at the living school? Yes and no. Hmm. These seven as they're listed here, yes. But if we'd be honest, these three values that we just talked about, no. Mm -hmm. Why did I fail to see that? I'm not saying our teachers that we've invited on, on site have not had these three, but sometimes they didn't. They could go a whole weekend without one mention of social justice, mm. without one mention of, of the outsider or the poor. And that was often a disappointment to me, but they, they usually did the other so well, I, I said, well, you take what you can get. But it, I, I think it is one reason we invited new people onto the faculty, and we'll continue to do that. None of us are the whole Christ. We, we have aspects of the Christ. So, yes, ideally, those are the people uh, we invited to conferences for the 32 years of our existence. But there were people, too, in all fairness, who are real strong on social justice, who seemed to know nothing about contemplation. Mm -hmm. Even their style of talking was not very contemplative. It was rather dualistic. But again, they did the social justice piece so well. Many gifts, many ministries, mm -hmm. as Paul says. But if we could bring these three values we just talked about, public virtue, devotion, and simplicity, a little more explicitly into our agenda, I think we'd be doing the future of the CAC a great favor. Mm -hmm. And in fact, make it a future possible. Hmm. You've done me a big favor, and I hope you've done whoever's listening to this a big favor. Richard, that's, a, that's a, another opportunity to hopefully gift the listener. We're trying to think of ways that we could almost do like shorthand for these seven themes, and you know, we didn't prepare you for this. But do you see a way to simplify these seven themes into a phrase or an icon of words that we can remember as a way of life? That's great. Boy, you worked on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you did, but you know I'm not going to come up with it right now. Mm -hmm. But did you come up with some? Well, I mean, I might come up with yeah, several. 
I mean, I think we were we were trying to come up with um, a little bit of a clumping mechanism. Clump. <laughs> we, were, we were we did the clumping approach, uh, where we thought as we looked at them, it seemed like you know the first couple tenants were really. If we clump them together, it's about a perspective. It's a lens. Right. You know, the third, fourth tenets seem to be about naming a truth about reality, a foundational truth about reality. And the last few point to, um, or the last couple point to a process then. So as we were looking at it, we were like, okay, one is the adjustment of the perspective that allows us to see reality in process and then the seventh theme seems to be the embodiment of that perspective reality in process. So I know that's a that's a earful to probably hear mm. as a listener. It's mo- even a mouthful to say, but maybe it's an invitation to our listeners to to look at these and maybe s- simplify them in your own way into a something that you can kind of grab onto or sink your teeth into in your daily lived experience. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't even know if you think that works, you know? Well, theoretically, I think it works, which I guess is saying I'm not sure it's going to work practically. Yeah. Right. And you, you as much said so, too. Uh, I'm just going to keep hanging on to my sacred heart yeah. image and uh, tell you what. That's beautiful. <laughs> See, that's devotion, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was in that striving to try to think of a way, how can we make this really concrete and in, in simple words so that it almost becomes like that that reminder and i think that was what we came up with at the end was the embodiment of perspective reality and process and again like you said it's too theoretical but like it's it's just part of that process of trying to live these themes out is to put it in words that are going to work incarnationally for us mm. one symbol that holds an awful lot of it together is our logo mm. Mm. The downward line, uh, the line to the left, one reality, God's cosmos, a benevolent universe. Hmm. If you really spend some time reflecting on our logo, I think that's why it's one of the the few things we have not changed Hmm. since 32 years ago. Hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, one reality, everything belongs, separate self, Path of descent, non-duality are all implied in that logo. I had never thought of that. Yeah. What yeah. an image to hold. It. Yeah, I'm just thinking of the downward arrow, the arrow going back. The and cross then, and, and the, the tension. Cr- yep. the cross. Yeah. And then the, the circle holding it all. Oh, I'm so glad that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. Boy, the Spirit's guiding us today. But you've taken notes on these few things that we we sure have yeah and um michael's about to set up a meeting with me with the whole leadership team to ask about how we can bring more mission alignment first among the leadership team themselves but then the staff Mm. and they're they're ready for it they know we need it because if there isn't a Eleven. If there isn't a core mm-hmm. that is invested in this, uh, there is no momentum. Mm-hmm. Just by papers like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Richard, I'm wondering, as a way to close out this conversation, if you would 
offer a prayer for all those listening and for all of us here as we try to seek to live deeper into these seven themes and embody them in our daily lives. I'll try. Holy, mysterious one, here with us even in this little hermitage, this particular ordinary place where we've now spent five days. We believe you are the same Lord and lover that uh, embraces the whole planet and the whole universe. May whatever we're saying on these podcasts, whatever we're saying in our written documents, affirm and call forth truth and love and devotion on both levels, in the concrete person, the concrete church or gathering, and offer some kind of elements for a movement in history that can make a difference. And we say that not to be important, not to be out front, but simply because we see the suffering in the world that you have identified with, that you care so much about. We have to believe that when we gaze upon the cross. So I thank you for Bree and the two Pauls here. We have a Paul recording and a Paul talking. It's a holy name, you know, Paul. So uh, may we um, do these good things for the sake of the world and for the sake of love. Amen. 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 And that's it for today's episode of Another Name for Everything with Richard Rohr. This podcast is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation. Thanks to the generosity of our donors. The beautiful music you're listening to was brought to you by Will Reagan. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, or sharing it with a friend to help create a bigger and more inclusive community. To learn more about Father Richard and to receive his free daily meditations in your electronic mailbox, visit cac.org. To learn more about the themes of the Universal Christ, visit universalchrist.org. From the high desert of New Mexico, we wish you peace and every good. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.